Check, check, check. You good, Justin? I had an epic call. Yoo -hoo.
right, good morning, Carpenter's Way. If you're in the room and you want to stand with us, you're more welcome to stand. You don't have to, but you're more than welcome to. Uh, if you're checking us out online or just watching from your home, wherever, uh, don't be a spectator. Join in with us this morning. I believe in the sun I believe in the risen one I believe I overcome By the power of His blood Amen Amen I'm alive, I'm alive because He lives. Amen, amen. Let my soul join the one that never ends because He was dead in the grave. I was covered in sin and shame. I heard mercy call my name. He rolled the stone away. Because he lives, every fear is gone, and I know he holds my life, my future in his hand. Amen, amen. I'm alive, I'm alive because he
You're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. Where sin runs deep, your grace is more. Your grace is found, is where you are. And where you are, Lord, I am free. Holiness is Christ in me. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. song to rise to you when temptation comes my way and when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus you're my hope and stay so teach my song to rise to you when temptation comes my way and when I cannot stand up fall on you Jesus you're my hope and stay Lord I need you Stand. If you're not already standing, <laughs> please stand while we read God's word. 
So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. By grace alone somehow I stand Where even angels fear to tread Invited by redeeming love Before the throne of God above He pulls me close with a nail-scarred hand Into his everlasting arms When condemnation grips my heart And Satan tempts me to despair I hear the voice that scatters fear The great I am, the Lord is here Who oh, brings the one who fights for me And shields my soul eternally Holy, I approach your throne, and blameless now I'm running home. And by your blood I come, welcomed as your own, into the arms of majesty. bright and risen sun more beauty than this world has known I'm face to face with love himself his perfect spotless righteousness oh a thousand years a thousand Not enough to sing his praise. Oh, and boldly I approach your throne. Blameless now I'm running home. By your blood I come, welcomed as your own into the arms of majesty sing that again boldly oh and boldly i approach your throne and blameless now i'm running home 
For when he had finished 
sat down on his throne to reign forevermore. Our King, our God, our Lord, singing blessing and honor, glory and power forever to our God. He has wiped away the stain of all our sin and shame, and He's asked us to come and rest, oh, rest in our God. You reign forevermore, our King, our God, our Lord. much, Lord, that as we just sang, that we can boldly approach your throne, not because of anything we've done, but all because of what you have done. And God, in this world that uh, we're surrounded by performance, we're surrounded by everything that says work hard, work hard, work hard. God, I ask that you would let this truth sink uh, just deep down in our hearts and our souls, God, that the work has been done. The work is completed, God, and that we can rest in the fact that we are your kids and nothing can take that away, Lord. God, we just ask that you'd make that true in our hearts as we open your word. God, let us, uh, let us hear what you have to say this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We're going to dismiss the kids up through third grade for their programming. And if you are visiting with us and you have a kid in that age group and you'd like to go back there and meet the staff, or just follow, follow the mass exodus right now. And uh, we uh, uh, have a couple quick announcements real quick. Uh, if you're watching online or in this room, this applies to all of you. But uh, we have some spots available for both of our mission trips this summer that are taking place in July. 
to Brazil and Guatemala, and we have some scholarship money available. So if you are interested in more information on that, you can talk to Kevin and Pam Hudson about Brazil, or you can talk to Kip or Paula Havard about our Guatemala trip as they'll be leading that. Or tomorrow, call the office and we will put you in touch with those people. But we would be very, very excited for you to go. Now, uh, as you know, Easter's coming. Resurrection Sunday, we call it here. That is in two weeks, not next Sunday, but the following Sunday. So let me just give you a heads up and tell you that once again, our weekend celebration involves a Good Friday service. So at 3 o'clock on Friday afternoon, and the reason we do it is 3, is because in Jerusalem, that's when the shofar was blown, and the Passover lamb had been slain for the nation, the atonement lamb. So we do it at 3 in the afternoon. We have a 30-minute communion service here. So we sing some songs, we read some scripture. It's 30 minutes long, so you can take a late lunch if you work that day. Come here, worship with us. It's a reflective service. Uh, and then you can go back to work, but that is at 3 o'clock on Friday, Good Friday afternoon. It's the, we'll fill this room with candles and, and just reflect on what Jesus did for us. And then on Sunday morning, uh, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, we're going to have a wonderful celebrant service, lots of music, a sketch. It's just going to be a great time. That service is one hour long because we don't have any of our children's ministry. There are times we want to celebrate all of us together. And so at Christmas and at Easter time, we try to do that so that our kids can be in here to celebrate with us. They need to see you worshiping. They need to participate with us. So that's what those Sunday mornings look like. So kind of a heads up on that. There will be more information coming to you through our digital contact. So that means email. Uh, we send out every Friday, and we're going to try to make it earlier in the day. But every Friday, you'll get in your email, if we have your email source, <clears throat> you'll get a bulletin as well as a prayer guide. They're one document now. And you can kind of read through that, and we encourage you, please read through that so you have the information you need about upcoming events and what is going on with the church. If you are not, if we don't have that information or you've never received anything like that, immediately following the service this morning, there's a table with the CW covering on it, and my dad and my Karen are out there, and they will, they will get your information from you, and we will make sure that you have the latest information from the church. That is how we communicate with you is through email and all those, and uh, text messaging and stuff. So make sure we have a good cell service number for you as well as an email so that we can just flood you with stuff. I'm kidding. That's not how it I just, everything I said just went out the window, I know. So, all right. There is a story that I read you. It used to be one of my favorite stories. I read you when I first came to Carpenter's Way. I kind of did a couple times. But for what I want to share with you this morning, it really fits. So I'm going to share with you again. The story is about an English lady who was vacationing in Switzerland and fell in love with a small town and the surrounding countryside. She asked the parish priest, whom she had become friends with there, if he knew of any houses and rooms to rent where she could come for a long period of time in the town and spend some time in the English countryside. The pastor kindly drove her out to see a house with a room to rent. She immediately fell in love with the house, as you can imagine. So she decided to rent the room for a year, but she returned home from England to Switzerland and realized that she never saw the WC. Well, for... For, uh, in that region, to her understanding, a WC means water closet, which is a bathroom. But to the parish priest, I'm sorry, I have this backwards. She's from England. He's in Switzerland. So she wrote him a letter and asked if he could explain where the WC was. Well, the parish priest didn't know what a WC was, so he started asking around, and he, came, he realized that it must be the Wayside Chapel. <laughs> And because of that, he responded to her, and this is the letter that he sent back. Dear Madam, we look forward to your move. 
Regarding your question about the location of the WC, the closest WC is situated only two miles from the room that you have rented in the center of the beautiful grove of pine trees. The WC has a maximum occupancy of 229 people, but not that many people usually go except on weekends. I suggest you plan to go on Thursday evenings when there's actually organ accompaniment. The acoustics are remarkable, and happy sounds of so many people echo throughout the WC during the whole time they're there. Sunday mornings are extremely crowded. The locals tend to arrive early, they bring their lunches, and they make a day of it. Those who arrive just in time can usually be squeezed into the WC before things start, but not always. It would be best if you decide to attend on weekends that you go, <laughs> you go early. It may interest you to know that my own daughter was married in the WC, and it was there that she met her husband. I remember how everyone crowded in so close to the bride and groom. There were two people to a seat ordinarily occupied by one, but our friends and family were happy to share that day. I will admit that my wife and I felt particularly relieved when it was over. We were truly wiped out. Because of my responsibilities in town, unfortunately, I'm not able to go as often as I used to. In fact, it's been a well over a year since I've been there. I can tell you that I really miss going more regularly to the WC. Maybe when you come back, we can plan on going together for your first visit. I can have seats reserved for us where you will be seen by all. Sincerely, Father Meyer. What's actually funny about that and why I like this story is they're both they're both having a conversation about the exact same word, but they mean two different things. <laughs> two completely different things. And words actually have a meaning, but not always the same meaning to every person using that word. For instance, the word church means a building to some. It, uh, to others, it's a program. I'm going to church. And yet to others, it's the family of God. And there are even other meanings that people often use in place of church. Peter, in our letter, uh, have been writing to the followers of Jesus to instruct them how to live as exiles in a world that they have been adopted out of. If you are following Jesus Christ, as they had given their lives to Christ, the things that there were normal to them, the things that they used to overlook, just become weird. And, and, and I think that in our culture, and this is the way it is around the world, but in the United States, I think you're seeing that right now with Disney. I would argue that we all know that through the years, Disney, for instance, has actually promoted ideas that periodically we wouldn't agree with, but they were behind the scenes. They were a little back, but now it is in your face, and they have decided that 50% of the characters in the near future are going to all be LGBTQ, uh, all the other letters are going to be friendly to that. They're going to be actively involved in that. And that's going to affect our relationship with Disney. Why? Not because we're surprised at that, but because... It's not something that I want to talk to my five-year-old kid about. I mean, the truth is, we, we, could, we could take other educational things going on. In Florida, the attacks on the Florida government, the law simply states that they don't want schools teaching sex, sex education until after, I think, third or fourth or fifth grade. And they're saying that that's a hate law. So, look, I'm not saying that for political reasons. I am simply saying that the world really hasn't changed, but it's getting more depraved and more in your face about it. And, and, and it is important that we understand that, that we are the weirdos, not them. And I think that's backwards in how we think politically. 
The truth is we are the redeemed ones. We are the ones that are living out the values of heaven on the earth. We are the ambassadors for the kingdom. We are the exiles, not them. This is their world. Since the Garden of Eden, sin reigns. Even Jesus said that. The fact is that Satan offered Jesus positions of authority in the world. And Jesus didn't say, you don't have that. He simply said, I will live, I, I, man doesn't live by bread alone. I'm going I'm to worship the Father. I am here to do my Father's will, not my own will. And, and one of the things that I have learned in 1 Peter is how important it is that I understand that as frustrating as the world gets around me, I'm not here to feed my flesh. I'm not here to be adored. I'm not here for people to love me. I am here to be the temple of the Holy Spirit in a dark place, living out the values of the King of Kings. That's what Jesus Christ meant when he said, seek first his kingdom. It's not that we don't vote. It's not that we're not politically active. It is that we do it with a different value system, that what we do here is first and foremost kingdom work, our Father in heaven, and down here, that's second. Everything else is second and third. And that was very hard on these people, as hard as it is on us. And they were beginning to be rejected. They were beginning to be pushed out. And they wrote or asked Peter about, we feel like exiles, and unfortunately, Peter validated that. You are exiles. And this whole letter, and we're entering chapter 5 today, the last chapter of the first of Peter's letter, we will go immediately following after uh, Easter. We're going to go right into the second letter, which is about six or seven, uh, I think it's several years later. But persecution has begun, and that letter continues the idea, only they are in a very different place than they are here. Throughout this letter, uh, you could, the, the summary statement, I think the key verse that, that communicates Peter's message to them and to us is 1 Peter 4.19. And I'll have, uh, I'll have uh, that on the screen for you. So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases the Lord. So let's just pause there for a second. This is what we talked about. Look, anytime God wants, he can save us from suffering. Whether it's physical ailment or it's persecution or the world's reaction to us. But the truth is, as they attack us like they attack Jesus, the truth stands out more. And there is a suffering that pleases God for his children. Well, that's not nice. Well, in light of eternity, in 50 years from now, we're all going to understand and see this from a completely different light. So if we are suffering in a manner that pleases the Lord, keep on doing what's right. Don't change your tactic. Don't change your life. And the reason, I, one more thing, the reason he says that pleases the Lord is because he just said in this text, and we talked about this last week, that you are not persecuted if you're a jerk. If you're meddling in other people's business, if you're attacking people, if you are murdering or stealing, those are not persecution. That's getting what you deserve. When he talks about suffering for, for, uh, that pleases the Lord, he's talking about suffering that we experience not personally caused. So uh, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to God who created you. I love that. Well, that is a huge sentence because it says that not you can trust your lives to God, but he doesn't understand. Well, he added that next line for that. He created you. He understands you more than you understand you. As your creator, as your maker, he gets it. And that's important. Trust yourselves to the maker of your body, of your emotions, of your life, for he will never fail you. And that really summarizes in one verse pretty much what uh, Peter has been writing to these people that have been exiled, that are tired, that are scared, and to us, trust the Lord. The W.C. story I just told you 
um, is such a good example of misunderstood words. Up to now in Peter's letter, he has been writing to the general Christian public. One of the reasons I like to go verse by verse, and we go about verse by verse here, about 80 to 90% of the time in all of our Bible studies, is because what Mark Wilkie thinks, what Beth Moore thinks, what John MacArthur thinks, really doesn't matter. It's what God says that matters. Agreed? It is the Word of God. And so when you go verse by verse, you don't get to skip and jump. And there's a lot of misunderstanding in the church today. And we're going to get into, in 1 Peter 5, Peter is going to write to elders. He is going to write a section of this letter to elders who are shepherding flocks through difficulty, through these difficult times. Up to now, he's been saying, believers, do this, understand this, put your hope in heaven, focus on God. If you're a slave, you know, honor, honor your master and honor him. If you're a wife, submit to your husband as you do to the Lord. He goes through all these things. Husbands, you are to honor and love your wife. He goes through how to live a spirit-filled life in a fallen antagonistic world. Well, now as he's wrapping up his letter, he's going to say four verses, five verses to elders. The office. This isn't just anyone who shepherds, although the principles are true in everyday life if you're a leader. But these are to the office of elder, and it's really, really important you understand. And before I jump into that, this is why I read the WC story. Because I think, personally, Mark Wilkie's thought, I think part of the problem the church has in our culture today in the United States of America at least that's where I've lived and ministered, is that we have no idea what, a, what roles and responsibilities are of a pastor. We think we do. We know what we look for. Let me say, you know what you look for. And I, I, when I say you, I'm not talking about Carpenter's Way. I'm, not, I'm talking about you online. Just generally, we look for something. But I would argue when you go through this text, you will understand exactly the role of a pastor as God intended it to be. So while you listen to this text, talk to me and the 20-some elders of this church, and we have a ton of elders uh, who, have, who have led this church, this is for us, fellas. This is for us, and it is a big responsibility. So let's jump into it. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 through 4. And now, a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too share in his glory when he will be revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you'll get out of it, because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over people assigned to your care, but lead them by your example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. Okay, church, listen. I, I'm so excited to preach this this morning because, first of all, it was very convicting and challenging to me as a pastor, as an elder. But I got to tell you, I am very excited to preach this to you because you live in a Hillsong, Ravi Zacharias, Bethel, Catholic Church preach issues, SBC, SBC infighting. You live in a church that claims that those things are relatively normal. And I'm here to tell you that is not normal. That is not the, God, the, the, the church God designed. And I am aware we have tons of new people. We have lots of people watching online. And I want to be clear. I am a shepherd of God's flock. And I want to warn you not to look for a church, not to look for shepherds that make you feel good 
or on the other side, beat you up. There, are, there is the mentality in the church that if I don't leave church feeling bad, I haven't been to church. Again, the WC is a bathroom if you're a woman from Switzerland or from England, and it is a wayside chapel if you're a priest. I'm here to tell you that just because you believe something or feel something doesn't mean God is there. It's truth that declares the presence of the Lord and more. Um, because life on mission is hard, because you are exiles, you are. You are the freaks, not Disney. I, I just want so bad for the church to take a deep breath and ask, what is it we want from the world? What do we want from our government? Do we want out them to outlaw all sin? And why are some sins so hated by the church and others tolerated? I, I just want us to have an honest thought. And, and one of the things that we love doing on Wednesday nights, and I hope on Sunday mornings, and I thank you for allowing me to do this, is try to step out of the box of preaching and just get you to think. You need to understand that even though you might have been born in Lovekin, Texas, and you've been here your whole life, you must understand that the sovereign one who... who who made sure you were born to your parents, no matter how good or bad they were, in this time and in this place is because God wanted you placed here for a time such as this. You are living this period of history, not because it's easy, but because you are exactly what God, the creator of all things, the one who sewed you together in your mother's womb, he put you together for such a time as this. He put us together. He took a boy who could hardly read from Southern California, put him in Chicago, sent him to Wisconsin, then to Michigan, then to Ohio, so that at such a time as this, I could be part of your lives and you could be part of mine. This, God is not random. He doesn't make mistakes. This is a sovereign thing that brings us together today. And you are not watching by accident. God is still on the throne, and Jesus is at his right hand, and the Holy Spirit is within us, and he's guiding and directing. And Proverbs says such, that we set our path, but God sets our steps. And it is exciting to stand before you today and talk about what a church is supposed to be and what we're, how we're supposed to think during this period of time that is uncomfortable for us, because for most of our lives, this country has... Uh, has and, and its businesses and uh, just, just the mojo of our culture has been basically following the moralistic values of the Judeo-Christian thought processes. That's over. We're not losing it. It's gone. And, and if you want to know how twisted and upside down it is, I'm not a big Oscars fan. I, I really don't care much about Hollywood, although I like their product a lot. I like movies and TV and stuff. But the fact that you have people who are preaching peace all the time getting up on stage and slapping each other around, I think it's funny. And everybody stood and clapped for Will Smith when he did it while yelling at everybody else for owning weaponry and defending yourself. I mean, it's, it's funny in an ironic sort of sad way. Just, just like what's going on with uh, and, you know, college sports right now. I mean, I don't know if you're aware, and if you're not saved this morning and you're watching, let me be clear, the transgender movement is destroying the women's movement. I mean, if you're a woman, what it, it there was, I can't quote the Babylon Bee, but I want to really bad. I mean, there, there was, a, let, me, let me get close. There was a Babylon Bee article, and it's so on point, a, a meme, and it said, finally, because of the transgender movement, Men or women can do anything, especially if they're men. 
That's not exactly what it said, but it's close. I mean, think about it. It's destroying itself, and that's what depravity does. Depravity eventually eats its own. It's like the Donner Party in Northern California in deep snow. They eventually start eating each other. Why? Because you're never satisfied. It's lust. Lust isn't sexual. It's everything. It's wanting more, wanting more, wanting more. It's wanting more approval, wanting more affirmation, wanting more love, demanding more money, demanding more sex, demanding. It's just demanding more, and you're watching the world want more. What is it you want, LGBTQ community? What do you want? And they'll always say a little bit more. That's why all the letters keep expanding. There aren't enough letters in the alphabet for where they're going to end up. And eventually, this letter is going to start attacking this letter, and it's already happening. It's already happening. Did anybody watch Bruce Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner, this week talk about the transgender movement? He said, I'm transgender, but I'm not an activist. I, look, it, it is that weird, but that's because you and I are thinking from a moralistic, clean, godly point of view. And it doesn't mean the lost can't think clearly. I'm just telling you that they'll be swept up into the love agenda that isn't loving. It's encouraging people to self-destruct. You know, the reason there's so many people in the transgender community who commit suicide isn't because they're not accepted. It's because you're never satisfied. And when you finally get everything you want, have you ever had that in your life where you wanted something so bad, like the most beautiful house or that sweet boat, and you got it, and you're so excited until you get the first mortgage note on it? It's like, oh, yeah, I forgot, I forgot about that part. That's the same with the flesh. Every time you want something and you get it, it's never satisfying. You've got to have more. And that's the world we're living in. I want more. I want more. I want more. And it's never enough. The Christian value system is Romans 12, be a living sacrifice. It's serve others. It's don't try to, you will be served and loved on and and, and wealth and, and justice and, and all the things you long for and health. You will get that just not in this life. This is not your best life. It will never be your best life. The next one's your best life. And that's what we've been studying in Peter. And because life is on mission and hard, because we're temporary residents here, because we're exiles actually, because we're becoming more and more like aliens here as the value system of the kingdom stands opposed to the value systems of the world, because we are God's temple and the Holy Spirit's presence on the earth, his hotspot of his presence is us, it is very important that God's kids, that you have a solid, healthy, focused, faithful, selfless, holy, God-centered, spiritual under-shepherd. I know you didn't catch almost anything I just said, but you did catch the end. You need shepherds who tell you the truth. You need it, and I'm going to go farther than that and say you deserve it. When God adopted you into his family through the blood of Jesus Christ and made you his righteous heir, truth became more important now than ever before. And we live in a world where even the church lies to its people. I don't understand for the life of me how anybody could go to a church that says, God will heal you if you have faith, and then your baby dies, and basically they don't even answer how it happened. I don't know why anybody would give $5 to somebody who continually commits adultery like swagger. But we do. We do. You do. And I just want to start by saying something to you. Knock it off. Stop it. That's not the church. And this speaks to that. 
The words in Hebrews that were already written, we read this morning, Jim read, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good deeds and not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage each other, especially now the day of his return is drawing near. Why is that last line that we often don't read in there? Because it's going to get harder, and it actually tells us that as the time of Christ's return comes near, even the church, many in the body of Christ, or many who go to church, or religious who claim the Bible as final authority, will be deceived in themselves. And that weighs heavy on me as I believe that the return of Christ is coming near. Don't ask me when, but it's not this week. It's next week, next Monday, but I'm not going to tell you that. I don't know when he's coming back, but if this is true, then my agenda for you, let me be clear, and the elder's agenda for you is to make sure you know what the truth is so you are not easily deceived by the lies. Whether it's on the right or the left, whether it's from the pulpits of of churches or whether it's from Disney, I want you to know the truth. And you deserve that as the kids of God. And that's why God designed the truth. But, but the word pastor, the shepherds, the leaders of, of God's people have always struggled. And I want to show you just how bad it's been in the past. Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1 to 10. This message came, from, uh, came to me from the Lord. So it's Ezekiel talking. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Give them the message from the sovereign Lord. What sorrow awaits you shepherds who feed yourselves instead of your flocks? Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? You drink the milk, you wear the wool, and you butcher the best animals, but you let your flocks starve. You have not taken care of the weak. You have not tended the sick or bound up the injured. You have not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you have ruled them with harshness and cruelty. So my sheep have been scattered without a shepherd, and they are easy prey for any wild animal. They have wandered through all the mountains and all the hills, across the face of the earth, yet no one has gone in search for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, you abandoned my flock and left them to be attacked by every wild animal. And though you were my shepherds, you didn't search for my sheep when they were lost. You took care of yourselves, and you let the sheep starve. Pretty scary, right, pastors? Pretty scary. It's been going on since the Old Covenant, since the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Christ. And if you want to know how upset the Lord is, let's keep reading. Verse 9, therefore, you shepherds, listen to the word of the Lord. When God wakes you at night and says, this is God, you need to hear me out. That's not good news. Verse 10, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I now consider these shepherds my enemies and I will hold them responsible for what has happened to my flock. I will take away their right to feed the flock and I will stop them from feeding themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths. The will no, sheep will no longer be their prey. Whoa. So why did I read that? It's from the Old Testament. Because shepherds have always fallen short. Always fallen short. And there's not going to be an exception when things get weirder and as we get closer to the return of Christ. I actually read this and I thought, I wonder if that's what's happening now to our American church. I mean, being an elder or pastor or under-shepherd is a good thing, Paul says in 1 Timothy. But he goes on to say that not everybody should pursue it because it comes with great responsibility and huge accountability. Let's take a closer look at what Peter has to say to guys like me or our elders in 1 Peter 5, verses 1 and 2. And now a word to you who are elders in the churches. Pause for a second. 
couple things that stand out to me in there. Number one, if you grew up in a missionary Baptist church, I'm about to offend your doctrine. That is referring to local churches. There are people who believe there's no such thing as a local church. There's just the church. Well, that's not what he's saying. He is writing, and men, elders of Carpenter's Way, all of you, whether you are lead elder or shepherding elder, he is writing to you. Just like he was writing to the pastors and elders throughout their region. And now a word to you who are pastors or elders in the churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, and we're, we're, uh, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted you. So there were three things that stood out to me in these two verses that I just want to throw out to you real quick. Number one, he is writing to the individual under-shepherds of the local churches, as I've already mentioned. Secondly, Peter is writing uh, this part to us elders, pastors. The Greek word is presbyterios, or as one of us. He's not writing like, you guys, you need to. He is writing as an elder. And he actually says, who have also shared in the sufferings. So as a persecuted church leader, I get it. I understand the difficulties. And I love that about Peter because he's humble. And it's really, really important that we remember who this guy really was. This is the guy who denied Christ three times after being his follower for three years and used profanity in God's name in vain in order to prove that he wasn't a follower of Jesus. This is the guy who late in his ministry is rebuked publicly by Paul in Acts because he wouldn't eat with Gentile pastors. This is a guy who constantly rebuked Jesus. Jesus, as he followed him doing the miracles, telling him he's discouraging the masses and people are leaving. This is a guy who continually screwed up. So I think when Peter says, I am one of you, I know how hard it is, I think we should go, oh, wow, yeah, he really does. In fact, when it comes, well, you guys maybe not, but me, I am just like Peter. I have a huge mouth to which all God's people said, ah, shut up. <laughs> but, but the truth is that this was a guy who constantly struggled. Read his story, even after salvation. We like to go, well, after he denied Christ and he came back, he was a different guy. He was different in many ways, but he wasn't completely different. He was still prejudiced against Gentiles. So the life of a pastor is difficult, and he wants us to understand that he's part of us. Thirdly, and I love this part. This is the beginning of the responsibilities. He tells us to care for the flock that God has entrusted us. Care for it. This pastor shepherding ministry is not merely teaching or feeding the flock. It's personal. It's not just doctrinal. Being a pastor is a funny thing. And I, I think, and I, some of these things, I, you know, I've been here so long that I'm repeating jokes and retelling stories. That's fine. Just pretend it's the first time. But I do remember when I became a pastor and I was ordained in my last church, I remember when I started pastoring, I guess I sort of thought that things would be different for me. They're not. They're not. I, have, I study, I have a different job than you do, but the truth is I'm the same self-centered jerk that I was before I got ordained. You sort of expect to walk in your office and have your Bible floating. I expected that too. I expected, I expect, I don't know, I... I periodically through the years, I've had people tell me things that they see while I'm preaching and different things, people who are much more mystical than me. And I'm always like, thank you. That's wow. Okay. But I just, I'm just Mark, you know? I mean, I'm just a guy. 
who has responsibilities. And I struggle with the same things I struggled before. You can ask my family. I would prefer you not to. But you can ask my family. I'm just a normal guy. You know, it is funny because you see, uh, side note, you see the normalcy of my life and you have certain expectations. I mean, I've been here 16 years now. And in that time, I went from being 40 and energetic to 56 and especially with COVID, kind of more thoughtful. And so over the last few months, I've had a lot of people going, are you okay? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, but you're just, you know, you just seem different. Well, I seem different? I, I don't know why I'm different. I've been trying to figure out this last week why I'm different so I can tell you. I don't know why I'm different. I know that I buried a lot of friends last year. I'm not sad. I am closer to the Lord than I have ever been in my life. Isn't that weird to say as a pastor? I should have, I, should have, I guess, been close to him when I graduated Moody at 21. I mean, I, I, you sort of think it, I was doctrinally sound, but I didn't. I'm just like you. Every day is a new adventure, and life is an adventure, and there's good and bad, and there's days that I'm mad, and there's days that I doubt, and there's days that I, I wonder what's going on, but God has always been faithful, and I'm seeing that throughout the Old Testament, and so maybe what some of you are sensing is just a calmness in me. I've never been 56 before. I, don't, I, don't, I didn't know what that felt like, but I, I can tell you that I'm thinking less about me than I ever have before, and I find ministry such a privilege. So why aren't you hyper? I got Adam for that. <laughs> Seriously. I told some people this morning that I'm going to come up with, a, with a, a message of really bad doctrine. And so next time I get sick, I'm going to ask Adam to come up and read it, and I'm going to flip it. I'm going to see if you even pay attention. I'm aware of what a wonderful young man he is. He ain't that good, let me just tell you. We're all, we're all just living we're all living. We're all the elders of our church. We're just living. You know, I'll bet you if you sat with Kevin Hudson or other doctors, you know, we sort of hope that they have a super spiritual line to God or an understanding. When my son got sick, one of the things I understood about doctors is they really don't have any more clue than we do, only more education. They are scientists. They, they, put, they put statistics together. You know how frustrated you are when you go to the doctor and they say, okay, you have a, a, a spot on your lung and they're like, we're just going to watch it for six months. And you want the doctor to say, oh, I can identify that spot. It's a, you know, it's a this and that. And a, you know, you're going to sneeze twice two weeks from Friday, and all of a sudden it's going to be gone. But have you ever noticed the doctors go, I'm, pretty, I'm about 95% sure it's going to be just fine. Well, I don't know about you, but I walk out thinking about the 5%. You know, 95% is a pretty good percentage until you get the 5%. But the truth is they don't know more than that. In fact, it's not even 95%, it's more than 50%. They're pretty sure you're going to be okay, but they don't know you're going to be okay. And if you go to a doctor after they said that they're pretty sure you're going to be okay, and it is a cancer, they're going to look at you and go, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Because the truth is, it's a science. And science isn't perfect. Ask Fauci. It's not perfect. You're giggling because you think he's the devil. He's just a dumb doctor. And I got news for you all. He's just a dumb pastor. He's just a dumb dude. She's just a dumb nurse. The truth is we all come to the table with clay feet. And I think we want so badly, just like the Jews did with Moses, God instructed Moses to put the tent of prayer in the middle of the camp so all 12 tribes could have access to God. And remember what the people did. We don't want access to God. We want access to Moses. Take the tent and put it outside of the camp. And we'll meet with Moses to tell us what God said. Man, think about that. That's what our flesh is. That's why we study the Old Testament. That's who we are. 
getting, getting directly with God doesn't give us the answers always, so we want a pastor to tell us the answers. We want our doctor to tell us the answers, and I'm here to tell you that we are clay men. Larry Crabb once said, uh, I, I heard him speaking at Moody, and I, I, I haven't forgotten this, and I've told you before, but he, he, he's this huge psychologist guy. I mean, he was, he was like so smart, and he came in one time, and he brought his briefcase, and he's up at the pulpit, and he set it across, and he says, I just want you to know that I brought my briefcase today to point something out, and he says, every day when I go into my office, and people come in to ask me questions about my book, I half expect somebody to walk in and say, ha, Larry, you don't know what you're talking about, and he said, the truth is, I'm old enough now to finally tell you, they're right, I don't know what I'm talking about. I can make some suggestions and thoughts and ideas and share with you my, my uh, but at the end of the day, if somebody of, uh, who was my boss came in and told me it was time for me to leave, he said, I'd quietly grab that briefcase and I'd walk out. And I'd think to myself, well, they finally figured it out. I got news for you. The reason pastors fall is because they're tempted. Pastors shouldn't be tempted. Who are you? What did we tell you about ourselves? We're fools. We are fools. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself for a second. I love how Peter includes himself in this because Peter's pretty, probably a pretty good example of, of a pastor's heart. Peter knew how confusing and tricky and painful the task could be and probably how silly it was that he had been chosen for it. Peter was one of us. So his words and instructions to us here aren't hollow or easily written. And again, I love 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2, and the beginning of 2 especially, and I want to read it out of the New American Standard because it's written a little differently. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. He's talking about personally experiencing that. And a partaker also of the glory that's to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Shepherd. The, the Greek phraseology here actually means to tend the flock. There's a lot of you who have cattle. And if I, as a non-cattle guy, you know, I, let, me, let me use an exam, example. Until I moved to East Texas, I didn't realize how delicate horses were. Seriously. I, I watched cowboys. The only thing I really know about horses is what I saw in cowboy and Indian movies. I, I, we had a lot of horses in Southern California, but I never owned one. And I didn't realize that you have to have their teeth filed. Or, or they get weird, they, you know, I, that, that their toes need to be filed off. And that if the, if the hay is wet, sometimes it can cause calic, and a horse can die from calic. I thought just their legs look skinny. The truth is, they're kind of a wimpy animal. And I've asked several people who have horses, so what did they do out in the Old West? And they'll say, well, they'd change them in, they'd sell them, they'd have a horse they loved, and when it died, they'd shoot it and get another one. Well, okay, that's... I guess they weren't just shooting each other all the time. I mean, I just didn't realize that. And, you know, I sort of think that we think the church is like that. All you need is good food. But the truth is to raise a horse, to raise cattle, you've got to do a lot more than just put hay out there. They're pack animals. Cattle, cattle need more than that. I, 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 wa <laughs> I watched Dirty Jobs and saw some things that they do to cattle. They, I didn't know that a, that a cow, I, I thought that, that uh, rodeo... <laughs> Okay, I, I don't have enough time for all of this. I was about to go, I was about to go off, and it would have been really funny. Just go ahead and laugh and pretend I was funny. But you know, the, the thing is, cow, cows need shots and vaccinations and 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 lots of stuff. And if, if you don't know that, you would just get a cow and go, okay, just get fat, cow. Get fat, and and then it would just look at you and die, basically. 
And, and, and the truth is, I, I didn't even know. They get, you know they get struck by lightning sometimes? If I were the owner of that cow, I would run out there and have a barbecue. I mean, it, but they, okay, I'm stopping. I really, really want to take a rabbit trail. But the, the truth is that it's the same with sheep. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, tend to the sheep. Shepherd the sheep. In 2022, it seems like we've come to think that anybody who can handle the word and keep your interest for more than a few minutes is a shepherd. L let me give some examples of people I really, really respect. Billy Graham. He was not a pastor. He wasn't an elder. He didn't want to be. He was an evangelist. And to replace the church with Billy Graham every, every Sunday is wrong. L let me tell you somebody else. David Jeremiah, phenomenal Bible teacher, maybe the, one of the best ones out there. But if you watch David Jeremiah on TV, you have not had church. That's being fed. That's like throwing hay out to a horse or cattle and assume that you've done everything you're supposed to do. That's not true. That, that, that's absolutely not true. There's more to raising cattle. It, it, there are great preachers and teachers. Beth Moore, I think Beth Moore is an incredible Bible teacher, and she teaches you a lot. But if all you do is watch Beth Moore videos, you are not being shepherded. According to Peter, a pastor tends or shepherds the flock. He not only feeds her through the preaching and teaching, but he tends to her by watching over and protecting her, by, care, by leading her, by caring for her daily and giving her guidance. Billy Graham, Beth Moore, David Jeremiah, J.I. Packer, Matt Chandler, these are people you listen to in your car or on your radio or read in a book, and they are fantastic. They can teach you truths of Scripture, but they are not shepherding you. They don't know you. And let me add, you don't know them. You've never seen them. If you've gone and saw Tony Evans live at his church, you may think you know Tony Evans, but you saw Pastor Tony Evans. You want to know Tony Evans? Ask his daughter, who probably a few times went, you ain't the preacher you think you are, Daddy, which is very, very rude for children to say. They're, 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 they don't see him as that. They see him as this. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? You all know this. This isn't shocking. So why don't we live like that? Those of you watching online, why don't you live like that? If you don't have a relationship with this body and you watch online, I'm glad you're watching online. That's wonderful. But you are not being shepherded by me or anybody in this flock. A shepherd doesn't just take his flock to a field with grass and walk away. He sits on the heel, hill over them. He watches he, he, uh, as they graze, watching out for wolves and sheep that wander off. And some of you are thinking, well, let me explain. I've got God to watch over me. I don't need a human who's fallen. Well, let me explain. The term in the New Testament for a pastor is actually not shepherd. It's under-shepherd. And this is going to make sense. This may be for some of you the first time you've heard this, and it's going to be like, boom. An under-shepherd of the flock is a biblical concept that was going on in the New Testament as well as the Old. When you owned sheep or goats, you would take those out by day to a field that you leased or owned, just like today, and you would free graze your animal, and you would sit on the hill, and you'd watch them. But at night, during the season of grazing, you would take your sheep in to a large pen owned by someone else who owned property, 
and you would pay them a certain amount to at night watch your sheep. The pen would be circular in nature in most cases, about six feet high with no gate. And at night, the owner, the under-shepherd of your flock, who you would pay to watch over your flock while you were away, would lay across the gate and protect those sheep. In the morning, or in a week later, when you were done, when you were ready to take your animals back, you would then go to the pen, you would pay the price for the under-shepherd, and then you would walk into the pen where there's thousands, hundreds, dozens of sheep, with only a few that are yours, and you would begin talking. Here, sheepy, 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 sheepy. I don't know that that's exactly how it was. But you would begin talking, and your sheep would hear your voice and know, and they would follow you. About eight of you went, <gasps> remember Jesus saying that? My sheep hear my voice and follow me. It wasn't like, we need to really concentrate on that. The Jews understood exactly what he's talking about. While there's lots of sheep, my sheep will come out from among them because they'll hear my voice and they'll follow me. You see, a child of God isn't a religious person or a Sunday attending person. It's a person that actually follows God. And while Jesus is away, what did he do? He left under shepherds, guys like me, elders the churches call, call them. And they are under shepherds. It's not their flock, but we are paid to oversee you. Paid by an eternal reward, paid by faithfulness. Some of us are paid monetarily. Remember Paul said that a shepherd is worthy of his hire? So it talks about that. But the fact is, we are not the shepherds. And I think many pastors have forgotten that. We are not the shepherds of the flock. That's why when you forget that, you start teaching your truth. I'm going to give you five steps to good parenting. Pastor, who cares what you think about your, parent, your parenting? One of your kids is an alcoholic. I wish the church would stand up and say something like that. I want to know what God says about parenting. And see, as an under-shepherd, it's my job to teach you what the shepherd says. I should be pointing you to the good shepherd nonstop, every time, every time I get on the pulpit, everything I say must be bathed in that. That's why there's no room for politics up here. That's why sometimes I preach against my own feelings. I don't like this, this president or that president. I don't like this guy. Doesn't matter if I like him or not. My good shepherd says that I pray for those who are in positions of leadership, even if they're unkind. My good shepherd has a value system that I struggle with. You see, I'm not here telling you what's a pastor. It's been described, a pastor is a guy that has been asked by the, by the potter to explain one piece of clay telling another piece of clay what the potter looks like. That's the job of a pastor. We're, we're, not, the, we're not the potter. We didn't make you. We, didn't, we, didn't, we, we don't have all truth. We have the word of God, which is why when you find a church, it's got to be about God's word. Because this is the truth that God has left us, the very inspired and errant word of God. And your pastor should be obsessed with this book. Almost to the point of people going, you just worship the Bible. No, but it is final authority. You're just obsessed with Jesus. Oh, I had somebody recently, you're not a Baptist. That's true. I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't even know if I'm a Christian anymore. I'm just, some of you just went, what? I know some of you just went, what? I'm just telling you, Christian means anything today, from Mormon to Catholic to whatever, and I'm telling you that Baptists are just as bad as any of those things. We have the same sexual issues going on in the church that have been going on for 50 years. We have the same self-righteousness. We have the same silly infighting, and, and I'm simply telling you that we are about Jesus because he's the only one who offers you anything, anything. So in 1 Peter 5, 2, he says, shepherd the flock of God among you. Look at that word, among, among. We would have jumped over that. You know what the Greek word for that is? Among. Do you know what that means? 
that means that I should be sitting right in the middle of the room. That means that you should see me shopping without me knowing you're there. That means that you should see me fill up my car with gas or get cut off in traffic and or you should see me eating dinner out with my family. That means that you should see me living the same life you are and honest about struggling. Live among the flock, not up here, skinny jeans. Somebody just told me this morning um, that they appreciate having a pastor that wouldn't look good in skinny jeans. I want you to know that the more I think about that, the more offended I am. But you realize what we've really just turned this into. We turn on TV and we have... All the memes are what Stephen Furtick said. Who cares what Stephen Furtick says? What does the Bible say? Yeah, I don't understand the Bible. There's so many different interpretations. I want you to interpret it for me. Stop it! You can understand this book. I'm at best a C student. And you trust me? My job is to feed. <laughs> Zach, stop laughing. I, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm here to help you. I'm here to, I'm here to, I'm here to protect you. That's why sometimes I name names. I'm, I'm here to tell you what, what I think is going on. I'm here to take you to God's word. But you've got to start thinking, and I know you do here. I'm, I'm just, in general, the body of Christ, teenagers, you've got to protect yourself. You cannot trust. You've got to trust and verify. 1 Peter 5, 2, care for the flock God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you'll get out of it. Okay, let's just pause and let that soak in. I, I am so honored and I, I think more, I came at 40 here, I came when I was 39, and now I'm 90. <laughs> and I, I, I don't think I've ever appreciated shepherding more than I do right now. I, maybe that's what's changed, is there's just a seriousness about me a little bit. Don't worry, behind, off the stage I'm just as dumb as ever. But the truth is there's a real seriousness to this because I think, you know, that time we always talked about is coming. Okay, so what do you think, Mark? Do you think it's our lifetime? I don't know, but it really doesn't matter. What does matter is it's going to get hairy. And we're going to go through it together. That's kind of cool to me. I mean, it's going to be fun and scary and terrible and wonderful. I mean, it will be all those things, and that's how life with God is. It's Peter, in a couple years after this, they're going to hang him on a cross, and he goes, would you hang me upside down? Why do you want to be hung upside down? Because I'm not worthy of being hung like my Lord. What? How nuts is that guy? He's not nuts. He's just passionate for God. And the more we walk together, the more we get to know God through his word and experience that, the more joy we have. There is joy to be had even with this government. There's joy to be had with Putin even attacking our brothers and sisters we, gosh, we got brothers and sisters in Russia too. There's hope in the Lord, but it's the Lord, the good shepherd who's watching over us. And it's our job to remind you how good God is, not how our country's failing. I've got news. Our country has always been failing. But the king will never fail. And our kingdom will reign forever, and we get to be a part of that. He's entrusted to it. Watch it willingly, not grudgingly. I, I tire of pastors talking about how hard their job is. So people say, you have the hardest job, and I don't even like to hear that. I don't, I don't need you to tell me that because then I start thinking about it, and I don't want to think about it. I just want to keep my eyes on Jesus. Do you understand? If I told you, if I looked at, <laughs> let me pick on Van for a second because this is not true, but if I looked at Karen every week and I said, Karen, you must have a really hard time being married to that guy. 
I can't find Coke Zero in enough of these stores. And Karen would go, oh, Van's such a sweet guy. I've been married to him for 72 years. It's been wonderful, and I love him so much. After about six times, Karen's going to start going, I really did marry a jerk, but I'm good. Can I just tell you, we're all in this together. We're all a mess. Thank God for grace. I just have the privilege of standing in front of you every week and opening this book. I can't believe I get to do this for a living because I wouldn't want to do what you guys do. I love my life. It's not a drudgery. It's a privilege. And I get to serve God full time. How awesome is that? Boy, are you going to be disappointed in heaven when you find out most of what I did was wood, hay, and stubble. Isn't that going to be disappointing? I don't want to disappoint you. I just want you to know the reality that we live in a fallen world and pastors are fallen and we're just grace experienced pieces of clay talking about the potter. That's what we're doing. Don't lord it over the people assigned to you. But lead them by your own good example. Wow. So I know, I've said this before, and I know most of you totally disagree with this, but you have the right to be wrong. I'm an introvert. I know, you're laughing. But let me tell you how introvert is not somebody who is shy. It's somebody who is not refreshed by large groups of people. Somebody who gets refreshment by going alone in a room or just quietly closing the door. That's an introvert. So while I do like crowds, the truth is, as I look back at my life, I think the reason I like being in front of a crowd instead of individually is because I get intimidated one-on-one a lot of times. And in front of a crowd, I can run the crowd. I can start being funny. You will notice, just because we're family here, you will notice that when I am nervous, I talk fast and I start telling jokes because those things have worked with, for me for 56 years. I, I'm being really vulnerable here. Uh, when, I, when I start struggling, you'll hear me start really going fast. And I just, I just want you to know that uh, it's really weird for me to think that people are supposed to watch my life and yet that's part of the job. If I'm not an example for what we teach, I should not be pastoring. And so in a weird way, all of that introvert stuff is to say this, so you can look. You can look. You can ask questions. You can, you can ask me uh, if I'm struggling. It's okay. But trust me when I say I'm not. And I promise I'll tell you when I am because we're in this together. But that's what a shepherd does. A shepherd's among the flock, and we've turned this into a one-way communication. Hey, boy, that Mark Wilkie. Well, forget Mark Wilkie. That Matt Chandler, he's something. Well, you don't know if he's something or not. But you do know if I am. Or you should. So ask questions. Be involved. When you see me at the mall, do not say, do you remember my name? That's a jerk move. <laughs> because what happens is my 56-year-old brain goes, Frozen. You could be my wife, and I'm going, uh, white dress, 87, little church in, I know. Big church, little barn in Ohio. 1987, we got married, July 24th. Maybe I'm better than I've been leading on. <laughs> it's, it's just life, and... I think one of the reasons we keep seeing pastors fall is because we don't really want them among us. Not only are they not among us, we don't want them among us because we don't want to know what they're really like. That's not how God designed the church. 
It's okay to enjoy them, but this is, where the, this, this is the money job. This is the protection. You protect me, and I protect you. Well, pastor, I don't know you. We don't spend time eating lunch. Well, there's 20-some of us elders. I'm not alone. God also built it so I wasn't running the church. My Southern Baptist friends, this whole idea that the elders are the paid staff is not biblical. That's not biblical. There's supposed to be a group of elders who hold each other accountable and oversee the spiritual health of the church. And I have six other men that do that on a regular basis. They watch me, I watch them. As we watch you, you watch us. But the truth is, it's scary to confront a pastor in this culture because of the way you have been raised. But I want you to know that there's uh, six other men that you can confront me through if you come to me and don't hear the answer, you're, you know, whatever. That's how it's built. It wasn't supposed to be built on a man. There's not supposed to be a picture of me out front. You'll notice we don't have a sign with Pastor Mark Wilkie. Who cares who the pastor is? When I die, there'll be another one and a white chalk outline right there. That's what I want. I want a white chalk outline. I want you to look every Sunday. I want that pastor to stand up here and go, you know, when pastor... That's weird. Can we get rid of that? And I want you to go, no. He wanted it. I mean, the, the fact is... This church has been wisely established and has strong leadership so that if I were to drop dead today or unfortunately fall into sin and have to be removed, this church continues. Yes, your heart hurts, but guess what? The message next Sunday is exactly the same, just a different voice. He won't be as good-looking as entertaining, but he'll be up teaching the truth, so you should listen to him. I'm just, okay, I'm about to end. I need to get to the end. Let's see. Oh, I am almost done. I want, I want to show two quick scriptures to you that talk about the role of a shepherd and how significant it is because it's all over the New Testament. One is in Acts 20. Louise, if you'd put that up there. So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church. Purchase with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you, among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group. Even some of you elders will rise up and distort the truth to draw a following. Watch out. Wow. 1 Timothy 3. This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be an elder, that's an office of elder. He desires an honorable position. So an elder must be a man whose life is above reproach. Well, he's just a man. It's not his fault that his kids are. Yes, it, apparently it, it may not be his fault, but he is accountable for it. The role of an elder is a very significant role, and your family needs to be in order. It doesn't make you a bad person if your family's not in order. It just means that you need to concentrate on your family, not the church. So an elder must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. Well, there goes half our elders. Uh, he, I'm kidding. I'm just teasing. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For a man cannot manage his own household. How can he take care of God's church? An elder must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the, and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside of the church might, uh, must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. We've so dumbed this down and the answer is because there's not enough pastors. Well, maybe there shouldn't be that many churches. Seriously. Maybe the, uh, 
the worst thing in the world isn't that some of these churches that are dying shut down. Maybe they should shut down. Maybe we should start gathering in larger groups under, under real shepherds who see this as their job description and value, not, not massive groups, but actually each a, a group made up of individuals that he and they care for. That's our job. That's our job. And if we don't want this job, we shouldn't take this job. And, and one of the things, let me take a shot at, at much of evangelicalism. We send kids to camp one year and they get saved. And the next year they come back. And then we ask the kids, so, or a pastor walks up to a guy, you're going to be a preacher one day, young man. Why is he going to be a preacher, guy? He's 13 years old. Well, because, you know, he just, he's just strong. Basically, he's good looking and he can communicate clearly. That is not the qualifications of pastor. And I think it's dangerous to start telling you it's easy to shepherd. Actually, one of the conversations Annie and I have, because she went to a discipling ministry, and there's a lot of young men who come out of there and want to be pastors. My whole question is, why? Well, it just, it's just exciting. I want to tell people about Jesus every day of my life. Are you telling people about Jesus now? No, I haven't been trained yet. Then don't do this. You see... Your responsibilities are to talk about Jesus, to study the Scriptures. My responsibility is to work with a group of men to oversee, take care of you, and to feed you. But we've turned this into a kind of who's going to be president of I want to do Samuel. We're done with 2 Peter, I want to do Samuel. We're done with 2 Peter, I want to do Samuel. We're done with 2 Peter, I want to do Samuel again. Why? Because I think we need one more out of stained glass series. I want to remind you of Israel's choice of king. It was the good-looking tall guy who was hiding in the luggage Never choose the good, never choose the tallest guy. Um, you get it? I mean, this isn't complicated, is it? And if you don't get what I'm talking about, would you just go read this afternoon, 1 Peter 5, 1 to 4. For those of you who, who don't know Jesus, this is built to protect you as a follower of Jesus. Join us. For those of you who have quit church because the church is messed up, then find a church that, that is still messed up but is shepherding their flock. If you're looking for a church, don't settle for a church with good preaching. You settle for a church that's shepherding people. A, a guy who can't communicate well but loves his flock is way a better pastor. And that goes against, it's going to go against everything in you because we want to say, oh, I want to invite all my friends. I want my mom to be proud. I want my kids to like the church. Them liking the church is less important than actually having a church that shepherds them. The goal of our student ministry is not the best party in the state. The goal of our student ministry is to disciple those kids who are hungry for God. And that is our goal. And at times, that's hard for parents. Because if your kids aren't interested, it's like my kids aren't really into the youth pastor. That's not why we have a youth pastor. Does it make sense? Okay, I'm going to close in prayer. Elders, I want to end with this. Put that up there, the last verse. Very last one I have, 1 Peter 5, verse 4. And when the good shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of ne never-ending glory and honor. Elders, pastors, shepherds, our reward is yet to come. We cannot afford to look for it today. And boy, the elders of this church know that I struggle with that. But we've got to keep our eye on that prize, not this one, in this upside-down kingdom that God asked to shepherd his flock. When the great shepherd appears, we are the under-shepherds. When the real one comes, you're going to get the crown of glory. Crown. 
That's going to crack me up. If it's a real thing and I get a, I get a thing on my head, I got to tell you something. I'm going to throw that buddy back. Because to be truthful with you, you've made my life easy and a joy. I love doing life with you. Doing life with you. Doing life with you. And I would love for it to be while I'm preaching. Seriously, you can even put the chalk drawing right here. I don't even care. Let's close in prayer. Thank you for your church, Father. Thank you for your church. I pray for the elders, the pastors of this church, whether they're on the elder council, whether they're deacons, whether they are uh, Chad worship leading, or whether they're shepherds of Bible studies. May we be men and women who desire to do it by God's definition and not our own. May we push back in culture and see what a true shepherd is, a true under-shepherd. And may we never follow somebody who's building themselves up again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I do want to remind you, especially elders this morning, we have communion over here. If God has spoken to you and, you want to, and there's something, you just want to take a moment with the Lord, please feel free. Bible study is going to start in five minutes. Uh, if you're interested in Brazil, you can talk to Kevin and Pam. Uh, Kip and Paula, if you're interested in going to Guatemala.